Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. This is a bit of a roller coaster of emotions this episode. I hope you enjoy it. It's a Q&A episode from our Commit to Six coaching group and one-to-one clients. And yeah, I'm not even, yeah, enjoy. But they also, you know, you some people have a different stress in life. Some people may be going through tougher things. Some people maybe just having, getting on and just keeping getting all the ticks. But don't compare yourself. There's no point. Like, that's that's not what it's about. Nobody's looking at the accountability post and going, ha, that person only got two green ticks. Like, that's not what the community is about at all. You know, you look at, look at that question that was put up on the Facebook group and then look at the amount of support and help that came from that. It's like, you know, before we'd even got to it, there was like 20, 20 replies to it. Um, so that kind of tells you all you need to know. Like, there's a lot of stuff there. Everybody's rooting for you. You don't need to be perfect. That's perfection yeah. is the big, biggest think... fall down that anybody can aim at. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're we talk about... Sorry, I was going to say, we talk about that a lot, but something else that came up kind of within that is that, there is this law of diminishing returns. So like you are going to get, and we talk about the 80-20 principle quite a lot. Like even if you can do some, like even if you don't finish the workout, but you started it, you're still going to get a huge benefit from that. And I think a lot of the time we like hold ourselves back because it's like, well, if you don't have time for the full workout, there's absolutely no point doing it. It's still worth doing like two rounds if you can't do four or like three exercises if you can't do all six. It's absolutely worth doing it. And in fact, you're going to get probably more of the benefit from it like a bigger percentage of the benefit from it than you would well definitely if you hadn't done it but I'm really bad at explaining that concept essentially it's the law of diminishing returns that some of something has a really big impact and try and remember that so even if you can't get 10,000 steps can you get some steps in can you be doing something Right. Anything to add, show? No, I think you guys have covered it. That's lovely. Okay. Um, Hi, Emma. I saw your Insta post about not getting too lean and losing too much fat if you then want to build muscle. I'm obviously a long way off that point, but just had a question as to how you know when to stop losing fat and switch to building muscle. Is it possible to be storing is it possible to be losing fat and building muscle together? Sorry if this is a really stupid question. It's quite a lot of questions within that. Um, and none of them are stupid. No. no. They're all perfectly valid questions. So to give context, this was something on Instagram, but they were asking specifically, should I lose fat before I build muscle? As in, will it benefit my muscle building potential to lose fat? And I think a lot of people think that actually if you're starting from a lean place you'll build more muscle when actually the complete opposite is true <laughs> yeah it's also as well like you're you're just putting things away you're putting things back you're you're putting things off rather than just getting stuck straight in about it you know what's the worst that can happen you can build a bit of muscle and strip a bit of body fat at the same time well you know two birds one stone i think there's this whole thing about the fact that i think everybody thinks that they're separate things and they can be, you can be separate entities in themselves, but they also cross over. And I, th- the, I think the thing to look at is for me is always, when do you feel you're on muscle? 
that's, I think, one thing that you kind of have to ask yourself. And if you're asking yourself, is it time for me to build muscle? It probably is the right time to start building muscle because your your mind's already switched into that sort of way of thinking. I think there's also a very, like, fixed narrative that you should lose fat and then you should build muscle. And some people don't want to go into a hypertrophy phase or have no massive muscle building goals. Like it would still be important to resistance train, but you don't need to switch in that sense. And yeah. I don't know if that just translates from bodybuilders who are often like, I'm in my bulking phase, I'm in my cutting phase, and they're very distinct and different. Whereas actually for most of us, we always probably want to build muscle, but realistically, we mm. might not build that much if we don't want to be in a huge surplus. And again, it's that weighing up, like what's more important to you, being able to build a bit more muscle this year or staying relatively lean so that you're comfortable in your own body and you don't have these huge muscle building goals. Like those are choices that you have to make given your values and what your goals are. So that was the first part of the question. Um, and I think this often happens at the end of a diet as well when people are like, sometimes have this really arbitrary number on the scales that they want to get to like i want to get to 60 and then i'll start building muscle even though they're like potentially a kilogram and a half away from that and they're like mm. yeah but i'll do a couple more weeks dieting like like andy said why are you putting it off if the goal yeah. now is to build muscle like all that will happen is you hit that random number and then you start but you're three weeks behind because you wanted to randomly diet for an extra three weeks like it doesn't make any sense and what is going to happen especially if you get very lean is when you start building muscle that like you will have to put on fat anyway so why are you getting to this arbitrary point and then putting it on and there might be a reason why you do want to get there like maybe not a scale weight but you might want to be like yeah i really wanted to get shredded for a photo shoot or just see if i could get abs and then i'm going to move on fine but make sure there's an actual reason for it not just I feel like this is what I should do and never question why you have that thought process. Um, and then can you build muscle and lose fat together? Technically, yes, you certainly can. And it's much more common if you're very new to resistance training and you have a lot of fat to lose. If those two situations are not applicable to you, then it's less likely that that will happen or it will happen at a much slower pace. Um, and also bear in mind that both of those situations cannot be like cannot last. Because if you've got a lot of fat and you're losing fat, then at some point you will no longer have a lot of fat. If you're new to resistance training and you're resistance training, then you will no longer be new to resistance training. So they're both finite periods of time where you're gonna have that sort of perfect storm for body recomposition. But it's not to say that for example, I can build muscle and lose fat if I put on a fair amount of fat first. Yeah. Um, it's just it would be a slower process because I'm not new to resistance training. Right, someone else want to go with their question and then I'll come back to some of these. Um. Okay, I'll go ahead. Um, this is from a one-to-one -one client. Uh, maybe it might be nice to discuss some of the difficulties about coming back from injury slash illness, not just the loss in strength or fitness, both of which I have experienced, uh, but also listening to professionals, being kind to yourself and how you can still achieve things. Maybe you guys have already done this and maybe I need to listen to it. Lol. Um, so 
<laughs> Lol. Lol. Um, I think it is actually me that's echoing. I'm really sorry. What if I do this? Is that better? No. Okay. No, it's fine. I've not noticed it too much. Okay. Uh, so for context, this client has, was diagnosed with cancer and then had surgery. Um, and now she is rebuilding the strength in her, her lower body. Um, and also just getting her head around a cancer diagnosis as well. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that's... It's, Who is this? A one-to-one client. The one I just sent you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was like, I'm 99% sure because <laughs> that'd be very niche for two people to have that exact situation. Exactly. But, um, okay. So we're basically talking about the mindset around coming back from injury. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and not just injury, because I think, like, we have talked about that a lot, but um, more than just injury, like, illness or, or something even, like, worse than that, if you know what I mean. Because, like, it is different. It is different, isn't it? Like, I mean, there's different levels. I think um, it's really hard when you've been really active before as well and you kind of feel like your body's given up on you a little bit and I think that like having worked with a fair amount of cancer survivors before there is that notion of like I don't trust my body anymore and it's something that is scary almost well I would say certainly more scary than an injury but a lot of the time with injuries even if they are like an accident or something we kind of not knew they were coming but like okay this caused this and there's like a reason for it whereas with the a cancer of a lot of the time it's like we don't know why it came we don't know if it'll come back and it was no, you know there was no action or even if there was an action it's not as um it's often like a chronic thing like maybe you smoked for many many years but with an injury like it's often like oh i fell off something doing a squat or you know there was like a root cause and then almost like a, a fix for that whereas when you've got no control of it, I think that's quite scary as well. And you have this like mistrust with your own body. Yeah, that was what she she did um, then touch on later, that she's like, she's in her 30s, she's fit, healthy, eats really well, doesn't smoke, doesn't drink. And then she got cancer. And it was that absolute like betrayal, the loss of control. And I think like that is a really interesting thing to discuss as well. And Something that I kind of like um, identified with was um, trying to get pregnant, and that that to me was like kind of similar, in that I thought that because I'm a really fit, healthy person who didn't drink or smoke, it would just happen like that. And if there's anything in my life that I've wanted, like say I wanted to squat heavy, or say I wanted to get faster at running, or I wanted to do like any sort of gymnastic move, I would just work really hard um, and then I would get it. And that, that it was as simple as that. But that doesn't work like that. And it, it felt like I was totally out of control. I didn't trust my own body. I was like, what's the point in all this stuff that I've been doing over the years if it just isn't working the way that I thought it was? Um, and then obviously, like... I mean, I, I, I'm not an expert on getting pregnant, but the more stressed and anxious and all that negative self-talk, like the more that is taken over, it doesn't help the situation in any way. Yeah, <laughs> so, and, and um, I think what's awful as well is like in that situation, but also in like any cancer as well, is like, it yeah. isn't fair. 
especially no, in this here. individual where it's like I've looked after my body my whole life I've always been active I've eaten well and like I mean it's not helpful for me to tell you it's not fair you know it's not fair but it's a really bitter pill to swallow like that's going to change your life and it has changed your life and it has impacted your life and it's like getting your head around that yeah and trying to get yourself back on track in a situation where especially with recurrence as well you're like Fucking, <laughs> fucking. I know, I know that that that's that's something that we went on to discuss as well. Is there's like that unknown uncertainty, like what what happens in the future. And um, but what is so amazing about this client, like I know you've got clients like this as well. That I could li- literally just like sit and chat to her all day, just like um, tap into her mindset. But it it's it has taught her so much to be grateful for the things that she does have. Um, so her family, her support system, um, the the fact that she can uh, reach out and get one-to-one help. So she's also got an amazing physio that she works with daily um, to get her walking again. And and she has to keep focusing on moving forward. Uh, but what's difficult is that progress in that way isn't linear. So obviously there's going to be stages where she's, because she's like so driven and motivated, she like might push a little bit too hard and then that kind of like levels off the the upward trajectory on her pros progress and there will be days where she can't do yeah. as much as she did yesterday exactly. yeah mm-hmm. i i think and i guess it's it must be going through something so challenging but all of the clients i've worked with with cancer who have all of the like options of excuses under the sun like they just get it done like I had a, a woman who was going through treatment as she was doing a fat loss program with mm-hmm. me. And she like in her check, like her final check-in, she like listed, she's like 10 chemo treatments, radiation, blah, 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 all this stuff, but didn't make any excuses. Like it was never an excuse. It was like, Emma, how do I work around this? Like, what should I be doing at the moment? And it was even things like you're saying that are hard. Like actually, you know, with some people we're like, let's get your steps in. But with the, you know, we're like, you've had chemo today let's not get your steps in like you're feeling unwell let's not push it that doesn't make any sense like okay you can't hit your protein today because all you can stomach is dry toast great but what can you do in these situations and I think that attitude is like yeah you're right like if I could bottle that up and give it to other people it's just the like yeah insane amazing and I still think about her all the time like not just in terms of that but like the way she was always just like remember to smell the flowers and like the incredible things that she did knowing that she was terminal and like Mm -hmm. just making the most out of life like i think you're totally right though it's just it's about i think number one is i think a lot of people will still blame themselves even when it's out with your control and that's obviously something that you have to come to terms with that isn't your fault and it's because you can't predict that you know you can't predict that sort of coming up on you. Um, but then you look at people's like mindsets like that, but also like look at like Doddy Weir. You know, Doddy Weir is in a position now where, you know, he's probably not got a huge amount of time left, but he's still fighting every single day mm-hmm. to try and raise money for people that are going to get motor neuron further down the line. You yeah. know, that 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 um, mindset is so like so motivational. Like, you know, somebody who has got no control over what of their own fate. Like there's nothing that he can do. 
and he's just going to you bring up such a good point though because i think there is always like when something bad happens to someone even though it's not their fault whatsoever there's always an underlying feeling from that individual that it is there's something they've done to deserve it because i think it's human nature to try and make things make sense i think it's also on the flip side why when something good happens we often think well i don't want to celebrate too soon because something bad will probably happen now like there's the whole like oh everything's going really well which is making me a little bit anxious because that will only last for so long Mm. and actually yeah like there is it's insane and i don't know if things flip like with that individual you're talking about to okay i know that my time is coming up what can i all you've really got to live for then is being selfless if you're a good person obviously like which he obviously is like an incredible person that his, his thoughts now aren't i don't know like how can i personally make the most out of this life it's what can i do that when i leave this world whatever when i die i'm gonna leave this world better than when i was in it like what can i do for people going forward incredible and i think that's that's a good that's just a good thought process in life in general pick it up leave it in a better leave it in a better place than where you picked it up like anything that you do in life like you know if you can make somebody you know make somebody smile and during the day happy days you know that's what you want you know you want these things so thinking about you know things like that is it's you know it's it's very thought-provoking and it kind of is quite emotional as well you know for people who like I'll, I'll be honest you i've never i've never had to deal with anything like that i have no I've, i'm very very lucky um, I've never had to deal with anything like that. I've had to deal with clients. I've had these things, but personally, and within my family and stuff, nothing like that. So you know, I I, I don't like using the thing, but I count my blessings and try to be make sure that uh, I live my life to the fullest I can, and just be a decent person. Like that's all you can really ask for. It's incredible, though, isn't it? That like people respond in that way to such like awful things. Yeah, it is. It's just the same. It is. It's like, you know, it's, I remember going to, I went to see one of the Scotland games, I think maybe two or three years ago. It was the one where Doddy Weir came out onto the pitch with his, with his, with his sons. Gee, I, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. That's mm-hmm. six, 70,000 people standing up, standing ovation. And like, you know, you look what he's done since then. And that's just purely down to getting the bit between his teeth and going, you know what? Might not be for me, but this will help somebody what I'm doing. And that's that's all you can ask for, really. Oh, okay. Well. Shall we have a break? <laughs> that's, uh... It's very windy in here. <laughs> I should have left that one to the end. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I don't know what... Shall I ask the next I, question? I, you know what? Like, how do you answer a question on fucking how think... much protein you have in your diet? That's the that? next question, Sam, um, about protein, protein timing. <laughs> Do you know what? I don't care. Eat, have protein whenever you like. No, I'm joking. <laughs> okay, shall, shall I read it out? Yeah, go for it. I understand that you need 25 grams of protein uh, to generate muscle protein synthesis, but occasionally more is better. There is also a time frame of how long it takes the response to drop back down to baseline levels before you would ideally want to generate the response again. My question is, if you consume 40 grams of protein, 
does the time taken to return to baseline take longer than 25 grams of protein? If so, what kind of time frames are we talking about? Is this not Tom Woods? This is not Tom Woods. This is not Tom Woods. This is his pal. Um, Okay, so there's a couple of things that are a little bit misinterpreted about this. So 25 grams to 30 grams of protein should max of quality protein should maximally stimulate muscle protein synthesis that's not to say that if you had 19 grams you wouldn't stimulate muscle protein synthesis and by the way protein is in a constant state of flux within our body so it's always turning over so it's not like woo. it's not like you're switching it on and then switching it off like this is always happening throughout the day there's so this synthesis and breakdown happening continuously on the second point there is a refractory period which is like the period between when you spike muscle protein synthesis and then it returns to baseline and then you would want to spike it again that is about two hours um and then he says a second part to this question if you were to snack on say 10 grams of protein in between meals understanding that this wouldn't spike MPS again. So again, that kind of doesn't, like it will increase rates of muscle protein synthesis slightly. Just it won't saturate that response. Uh, And then there's a follow-up. If you say consume 40 grams of protein per meal and it takes four hours to return to baseline Uh, So you would eat every four hours, four meals a day on the basis that then you would go to sleep. Why would anyone ever consume more than 160 grams of protein? Obviously, this may not be relevant depending on your answer to the first part. Okay. Um, So there is evidence that slightly more protein is going to have an impact and there may be an impact of how much muscle mass you have. For example, Andy needs more protein than I need. That's why we do it off weight as opposed to just a blanket recommendation. Um, Also with bodybuilders, there might be an impact of steroids and if they can synthesize more protein and more protein turnover because of that. And if you've resistance trained, you may be able to benefit from closer to like 50 grams of protein. But again, we come back to this like law of diminishing returns. So 20 grams of protein will give you almost as much as 40 grams so the extra you'd have to so doubling your protein from 20 grams to 40 grams increases rates of muscle protein synthesis by 10 percent so you need to decide whether it's worth doubling your protein intake to get 10 percent higher rates of muscle protein synthesis i would say for 99.9 percent of people it's not yeah i think that covers that question Cute. Um, do you want to hear about my lunch? Um, I had a toasty in my new air fryer. Inside the air fryer? Yeah, so you can make a toasty inside the air fryer. I used brown bread, four slices of Leerdammer light with a wee bit of chilli jam, 20 grams protein, and it was amazing. Not bad. Not bad at all. What, so do you just put bread in the air fryer? Yes, yeah, so you put the bread and like literally just the, the, like put a sandwich in the air fryer and then set it to, I think I even just set it to air fry 
and then turned it over after three minutes and it had made a toasty. Made a wee toasty? Made a wee toasty and it oh, was... great! Oh, right! Like, okay. like eyes are... <laughs> oh, do you know what? I heard um, an analogy the other day and I love an analogy and I thought this was really good. So it was comparing progressive overload to tanning. Mm-hmm. How you have to increase the exposure slowly. And that you become like more and more tanned with more exposure. Because if you just like suddenly, you would just get burnt. You'd get yeah. really red. Yeah. Because then or you wouldn't tan, you just burn. The bench. <laughs> huh? Or die under the bench. Yeah, which is why gingers can't build muscle. <laughs> uh, I disagree with that one. Have you not That's seen easy. that like wrestler Seamus? Is it Seamus? You're stacked. They've Obviously, I'm joking. They're <laughs> properly stacked. They kind of get a tan, but they're stacked. <laughs> yeah, that's where the analogy oh, dies. That's all. It's non-tan, jacked as fuck. <laughs> okay, um, I'm done with those questions. What else have we got? Andy. Uh, right into the group. It's from Haley. I have a question in regards to Shark Week. Why do people call it that? Just call it your period, babes. Yeah. She does put, she's no. put that in brackets, to be fair. Um, first two weeks of my cycle, I'm absolutely fine with food, no cravings, keeping everything under control. The week leading up to coming on, I turn into an absolute cookie monster. I find it really hard not to eat the sugary stuff. The week leading up, am I better to allow myself to have some dark chocolate or more fruit to keep this under control? Currently owning the calorie deficit life and enjoying it. Hey, it's me. Um, So you've got a few options. I mean, if a little bit of dark chocolate and fruit is going to help you, then yes, please crack on. But I feel like (laughs) most people want a little bit more than that. So you've got a couple of options. Like you can bring up calories slightly during that week and allow yourself some more food or some more of what you want. You can allocate some calories to whatever you want. Like say it's some chocolate. Cool. Save some calories, have some chocolate. Or you can accept that it's going to be a week that will pass and you can like dig in, for example. All of those options are absolutely fine. Why are you laughing, Shona? But choice is yours. Dig in. Dig in. Well, I got um, someone, I put this on my story because I'd been asked this question, like, what do you do? I know which story you're going to tell because you told it on EIQ Live. Okay, and well, the listeners won't have heard the EIQ live. No. But anyway, put this um, story up it's saying that what I usually do, because I've tried all of the options and I will crave no matter what. Like, even if I allocate 200 calories to chocolate, it's not enough. Like, even if I allocate 500 calories to extra chocolate, it's not really enough. Like, no matter what, during that week, I'm going to have higher cravings. So I just say, okay, well, this week will pass. And by the end, and actually, there's two elements I want to make a point to here. Like for me, it's normally like three days that I have high cravings. It's not like a full week. And secondly, I would say maybe they're not as bad as other people. It's like you don't know what other people are going through. So I'm not being like, anyone who's struggling, just ignore it. You'll be fine. (laughs) But anyway, someone messaged Amelia and was like, what do you think of ESG saying that people should just ignore their period cravings? And I was (gasps) like... 
that's not what I said. I said, that's what I personally do, but you could just increase your calories. Mm. So yeah, basically the point is find what works for you. All of the options are absolutely fine. Again, I got asked this question about training and the exact same principle applies. Like if you find that the week prior to your period or the couple of days at the start of your period, it's so painful that you cannot train, don't train, take a couple of extra rest days or do something lighter, like don't push yourself during that time. Equally, if you find that you are absolutely fine at that time, you can train. Like when people ask for these like black and white, what should I do around my period? Like, how should I train? How should I change my training given my hormones at certain times? What What is more important always is how you feel. So mm. go off how you feel and then adapt as you need. Good show. Um, Nicola's question, it's quite a fun question this. Death row meal. You get to choose a starter, main, dessert and a drink. Oh, what? that's a great question. Death row meal, starter, main course, dessert and drink. And a drink. Right, okay. Andy, you've had you've obviously had time to think about this since you just read the question, so you go first. <laughs> you've obviously had five point two seconds to think about this, so <laughs> um prawns for starter. Just prawns. Just prawns. Gambas pill pill or something like different. Uh, what anything. prawns on their own with nothing on them? I just I I just love prawns. Prawns are great. Pat prawns, pasta, you name it, I'll have it all. It's all good. Right. I'm not I'm not discriminating. Uh, and then I would have steak with mac and cheese, and probably more prawns. Surf and turf it. <laughs> uh, dessert wise, not really big on desserts to be fair. Uh, but I would wash it down with Pepsi Max Raspberry. That's bold. When I first tried Pepsi Max Raspberry, I was like, oh, yes. And now I'm like, no. Oh, see, I was the opposite. I was like, oh, that's guff. And then, actually, I'm quite enjoying this now. <laughs> Shona, what would yours be? Okay. Um, starter, I would also have prawns, but like old school like a prawn um, Mary Rose uh, prawn cocktail, like from the nineties. Good show. Maybe like iceberg lettuce on the bottom, and like one of those glass <laughs> things, um, and maybe a bit of avocado, and then sprinkle. Um, is Cayenne it like pepper? Yes. <laughs> like proper old school, like you'd get at your granny's, and then um, for main course. Ah, oh, that's really difficult. Um, do you know I would have previously said steak, but I don't eat meat anymore, so I wouldn't say that anymore. Um, like I feel so much pressure to say something that makes you sound really interesting, don't you? Like, like a risotto. I like risotto. Um, oh, that doesn't make me sound interesting at all. No, rice <laughs> with random bits of mushroom in. What? Risotto. Okay, like, but with a piece, a nice piece of fish on it. Um, and then for dessert, oh god, um, lemon meringue pie. Lemon meringue pie. <laughs> I said so boring. Like Emma, you've had the, the longest to think about this. So now the pressure's on for your answers. Stir fry. I don't know what you would. Or I'm going to see if I can guess. I don't think you would order a starter. Um. I'm not a big starter person. Um, I, I probably have some kind of chicken for starter. 
Although I've been trying to reduce meat, so I don't know if I would. Although I'm dying, so... What? Or, of course, it's death row. I was like, Emma, this is how you're going to end it. Death row, go mental. Yeah, I just thought I'd just drop that in there, guys. <laughs> um... Bye, folks. Bye. <laughs> I, I really like Thai food, but there's not, like, a specific one. Yeah. Yeah, see, now that I think about it, like, I would probably not make what I have. I would go out to a restaurant for my last meal. Uh, yeah, like, you're not having yeah. to make it. You're not going to make your own meal on death row. Okay, so if that Here was the answer, go. like, there's so many nice places that you could go in Glasgow. Or you could even just, like, fly somewhere. You could fly to, like, Vietnam. Sure, you're on death row. You can't just fly somewhere. Oh, yeah, good point. That means you're about to be killed for a crime. The last walk yeah, you're going to Yeah, you know what? I just fly to Dubai and have, like, a really nice last meal. <laughs> right, okay, so someone else... But then it's probably, like, canteen food if you're on death row. It's going to be, like, um, a piece of breaded fish, some chips, peas and beans, isn't it? I would have sea bass, I think. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right next question we're also boring aren't we uh, right um, how do you know how many steps equate to calories burned I assume it's different for everyone context of the question is if I max out calories in a day but fancy a snack and I know I've done 16,000 steps instead of 12 does it cover the snack glass of wine question mark PS not intending to make a habit of it unfortunately your answer to this is no do you know what I love? Like the the mental image of like, so she's done sixteen thousand. She has a glass of wine. She's like, I want another. Goes out for another four thousand. <laughs> Just take the bottle of wine with you. Goes out for another four thousand. Just take the bottle out. Bottle I mean, <clears throat> technically, technically yes, because you're expending more energy. You've expended more calories. You could eat more. It's a very like the reason Andy said no is it's a very poor mindset to fall into that you're just like oh I'm just gonna burn off these calories like and also it it just doesn't tend to work like yeah. when you do I mean to an extent it does like if, if you're like okay do you know what I went over calories today but I'm gonna eat a little bit less tomorrow and I'm gonna move a little bit more tomorrow like it kind of balances out but I really don't want anyone to get into the headspace of Oh, I've met my calories, but do you know what? I want a little bit more, so I'll just force myself to do some cardio and then I'll have a little bit more. And the way that this is written sounds like it's coming from quite a healthy headspace of, yeah. oh yeah, like, but if I expend a little bit more, I'll be able to have a small snack, not I'm going to binge eat and then do fasted cardio for three days. Like, yeah. there's obviously like a spectrum here. And technically, yes, like as much as people say you can't out-train a bad diet, you can it's just you won't it's most people won't and most people don't have time and it's definitely not a good way to think about food is in something that you need to burn off mm. but like look at any elite level athletes like or especially endurance type athletes they're eating a shed ton and a lot of what they're eating isn't quote-unquote healthy because they just need to get calories in because they're burning so much so yes movement burns calories but also we don't know exactly how much and it's extremely hard to say like that you know if you have a kit kat you need to walk x amount of steps 
because it depends on so many little factors like even like what the terrain is if you're walking uphill if you're carrying a backpack how much body fat you have how fit you are how much you weigh all of these things will add up to how much energy you're expending for any given amount of steps and we can sort of guesstimate that but not to any like quantify like really quantifiable amount I think also as well, things like heart rate monitors and stuff are still very, very... Nobody knows the algorithms that they make for judging calories. So actually doing that is quite difficult because you might be completely out. Um, and as you say, you know, the, the question is from like a, a good standpoint, but at the opposite end of that spectrum, all you're doing is building yourself a really bad relationship with food if you're punishing yourself for having to go out and eat. Like, we see so many of these things, like, oh, a Big Mac equals going out for a five, an eight-kilometer walk. Like, that's not a relationship you want with food. You don't want to look at food as a punishment for anything. Food she's, food's there to be enjoyed, and, you know, that's what we what we try and sort of make you understand on Commit to Six is that food's enjoy, is enjoyable, should be enjoyable, and it should be like that for life. It's not just, you know, crash dieting and then crashing and burning afterwards. And also on the, on the flip side of that, it makes you think about exercise in a negative way as well. It's like, oh, yeah. exercise is only good to burn calories. So there's no point doing that because it's not, it doesn't burn many calories. If we wanted you to burn as many calories as possible, we'd have you doing like moderate intensity endurance exercise for as long as possible each day. We wouldn't have you lifting weights but that isn't why you're exercising you're exercising to maintain your lean body mass for fitness for enjoyment yeah. to feel good as yeah. opposed to just burn calories like that is not up there on what we think is important something i would also like to touch on is there's been quite a few people start commit to six or like one to one who have had their calories increased on what they were on before. So maybe they were on a different plan with a different trainer, different coach, different program, and they were on like 1,200, 1,300 calories. And then they've come to us and we put them on more calories and they're really worried that they're going to gain weight because maybe they didn't lose weight before or they were losing weight before and they think that this increase will then make them gain. Um, and there has been like quite a few people say that they're worried about this. Um, but chances are, if you were on 1,200 or 1,300 calories, you, first of all, were maybe struggling to adhere to this. So it was like really miserable. So maybe you stuck to it for three weeks and then like got really good results. But then at the end of the three weeks, you were like, I, I just can't do this anymore. And then um, you went back to what you were eating before that and you gained weight. Um, second of all, we've we've set you an activity target on top of your workouts. So everyone's going to be on 10, 12,000 steps. That is going to be, we're not saying that that is equivalent to the extra calories that we've given you, but that will have an impact and it will allow you to eat more. And if you can, um, if you're on that higher amount of calories, the chances are is that you will stick to it so much easier than, than you would stick to 1,200, 1,300 calories. Yeah. Such a good point. I've actually um, written a whole podcast on it or written notes for a whole podcast on this because I think you're so right. Like I saw it come up in the group a couple of times. It's something that so many people struggle with. And no matter how many times we explain that, there's a, there's still a pushback to it, which is totally normal. And a lot of the time it's just 
a hell of a lot of reassurance that someone needs that okay like I understand the principle I understand that when I look at the numbers judging by how much I weigh my total daily energy expenditure there is no physical way I could put on weight on 1600 calories I know that Mm -hmm. but it's still hard like I and I get that because there is this notion of like oh well you know I've only ever lost weight on 1200 calories because it's kind of all you've tried you've not tried on the higher level Mm. and like just as much as I don't like the whole like trust the process thing like give it a couple of weeks we're here to reassure you I loved the post that was put up because there was so many comments under it being like I felt exactly the same and I, I went for it and it's paid back and I think part of the reason that people go for it is because they've got us and they've got this support. And I actually spoke about this on another podcast recently about how, like I was using an example of like business coaching as well. If you don't trust your business coach, for example, and they're like, put your put your rates up, double your rates. You're like, I'm not doing that or my clients will leave like and then it's a waste of money it's same it's kind of similar to us saying trust us increase your calories you'll still lose weight and you'll do it better it will be more enjoyable it will be sustainable and actually the thing is on average you're probably eating less calories because you're now not binge eating and i think some people massively underestimate how much they can consume in like one evening even just an evening of overeating and all of the, this is what breaks my heart. Like they put in so much effort during the week because I can't stick to 1200 calories. That's, it's fucking hard to do. And it's by no failure of you. Like no one's set up to be in that big of a deficit, especially not with the food choices we have. And it's a very hard thing to do. And a normal response to over-restriction is over-indulgence. That yeah. says nothing about you as a person. That is just a normal human response. So of course that's going to happen. And then you don't realise how easy it is to outdo that pretty decent deficit you've created during the week with a couple of glasses of wine, a bag of crisps, like a big dinner and a bit of a takeaway. Like you've completely eradicated the deficit that you created during the week. But in your head, you're like, well, I still get this, even though, again, people understand the concept of its energy balance over time. In your head, you're still like, but I stuck to my diet for six days. Why am I not losing weight? And you're like, okay, but it's the average that matters. And it does seem counterintuitive to bring up your calories when you want to lose weight. I get that we're asking you to do something that's uncomfortable, but that's what needs to happen. And that is what's going to get you results. And I am going to do a full podcast on this. So that will be out shortly. Excellent. Okay, next one. My question is around how to split your calories throughout the day. Is there an optimum way of doing this, i.e. having a set number of calories for each meal plus snacks, or does it not really matter as long as you're hitting your calories? Does anyone else want to go? I just spoke. Um, I mean, I, I personally uh, quite like to save more calories for later in the day because I like to feel full. Um, after my dinner and um, but then some people have different preferences I would say as long as you're making sure that you get your 
25 grams of protein four times a day then you can like split it so sometimes like what i'll do is first thing in the morning so i'll just have protein so i'll just have like protein shake or a protein yogurt and then that allows me space to have like a bigger lunch and a bigger dinner another thing to consider is just that you're fueling your workouts properly um, and again that depends on when you exercise um but you don't have to split your calories equally just as long as you've got your protein spread out throughout the day yeah, agree. Agree. I think just find what works for you as well. Like yeah. a lot of people, and myself included, like I, I like to be busy during the day. I don't. I just find it quite easy not to eat that much during the day, which mm. means that I get to sit down and have a, a big meal when I enjoy it. It also tends to be your more sociable meal. Like you, if you are eating with your family, it's usually dinner, mm. as yeah. opposed to like breakfast or lunch. So you've got a bit more flexibility there. And I also just think it's a more enjoyable meal because you can sit down and take your time rather than, cool, I've got a 30-minute lunch break to wolf down this meal. Like, it's not... I would rather have a smaller lunch because I've not got as long at that at that period of time. But yeah. equally, some people feel the exact opposite and they're like, oh, no, I couldn't possibly... I get so hungry at lunchtime and actually, if I wait until dinner, I end up overeating because I'm overhungry. Yeah. So there's no yeah. right or wrong. It's just finding a pattern that works for you. And then I would try and like stick to that pattern to an extent because you can sort of teach yourself this as well. Like I, or, or more like train your hunger cues to an extent, depending on when you habitually normally eat. So I didn't have breakfast. I, I used to not eat breakfast, not for any fat loss reasons, but just because I like to get up and go and it didn't really fit with my day. But now that my goal is hypertrophy, that doesn't make any sense to miss a protein serving in the morning and because I train in the morning, so, or I do now. So it makes more sense to have breakfast. So I do have breakfast. Now, initially I wasn't hungry at breakfast time and it kind of felt weird having it then, but now I wake up hungry. So you can just like, I think sometimes it feels a bit weird changing the patterns when you eat, but you'll get used to it. And then your body sort of adapts to that. Sarah's yep. just said on the post, uh, on the live even, I'm all in for a bigger lunch and dinner. I tend not to get hungry until the point I first eat. Then once I do eat, I can't stop. So better leaving it later for me. That's quite a good example, actually, because a lot of people find that. And I sort of had that notion in my head. But I think it's actually partly because you've not had breakfast. <laughs> mm. Like... You'll get used to, what, basically, whatever you, you do, you'll get used to. So I used to yeah. be like, oh, I'm never hungry until I actually start eating. And that I think that is true for a lot of people, but it doesn't mean that you would have to eat that way. And I think you would be less hungry at lunchtime when you started eating if you hadn't skipped breakfast, for example. Yep. Cool. Right, next one up. What is your view on eating low-fat, low-calorie alternatives to food? Um, for instance, low-fat natural yogurts, or should we eat the standard version and calorie count them in? Go for the low options. Like this is the whole point of these lower-calorie um, like alternatives. There's, it allows flexibility into your diet, where you know you may get go for like a lower cal, like a low-fat yogurt that's got enough protein in it. So it just means that you're not filling up your calories with extra fat. 
So, you know, there's some very handy, you know, things like as well, like things like sugar cravings, like, or sweet cravings, you know, things like the 10 calorie jellies and stuff as well. They're quite handy to implement and be able to use to help you um, fit your calories and also get you a bit more food volume as well. Yes, I agree. I think there's no need to avoid them. I do think that some people go low fat everything and then don't get enough fats in. So do make sure you're still getting fat in. But I would also say like choose your indulgences with that. So some people will be like, I absolutely love full fat Greek yogurt. Okay, well, great. Keep having that. Like I, I just don't like the taste of lower fat yogurts. Fine. But maybe with other things you want to go, like maybe instead of butter you want to use like a lower calorie spread for example or instead of cooking with olive oil you want to use the spray just choose what what matters to you like actually do you know what i really enjoy a full fat milk in my coffee or something i don't know whatever it is that you really enjoy and that you don't mind swapping out then i would go for that do you know i remember hearing amelia talk about a five percent faye and then I tried it and I couldn't go back to 0%. It's just so, so delicious. But don't and you I think, think that it tasted way better when you first tried it? It still tastes good, but I know what you mean. Like yeah, that like first when you've been on a diet and then you have... Time. <laughs> do you know what? I used to always have porridge with water. That's pro now that's old school. That's even old school. I know it was a bro, right? I was a bodybuilding bro. And then I had it with just semi skimmed milk and it tasted like cream. Like it Life was so good. Mm. Now try it with now actually try it with cream. Then that's that, Yeah. That's just, Do you know what? I real... once had um porridge from M and S and and I was like, Why does this taste so good? And it was made with like <laughs> cream double cream well that's yeah, like probably. i remember watching um i think it was one of the it was australian master chef and i was watching that and it was heston blumenthal doing like um scrambled eggs with double cream and then oh. boom just mind, mind blowing. There as well oh mind blown um denise has added on this on the live is there not lots of sugar in the low-fat options what depends on what low fat option you go for if you go look for a low fat low sugar option then you're fine but just sure you're looking at the, the yeah. Calories. yeah just look at the calories some people yeah. do say that <laughs> what was the saying used to be like when you see low sugar or low fat think chemical shit storm <laughs> <laughs> you know what um, i actually had my commit to six coach hat on the other day when i was coaching the, cr the crossfit class and then um, I was drinking a Diet Coke and someone in the class was like, oh, that's really bad for you. And I was like, oh. fuck off. Shut the fuck up and give me 9,000 burpees, prick. I, pretty much, I was like, right, okay, we're in the middle of a class. Should I try and educate you right now or should we just continue with what we're doing? And I was like, it's not bad for you. We'll talk about that at the end. <laughs> Please go and stand in the corner and think about what you just said. This is why I was not a great face-to-face -face coach because I'd be like, we're stopping the session. PowerPoint <laughs> presentation. You should just give them the worst thing. Like, just start doing burpees. I'll, ex I'll educate you while you kill yourself doing burpees. Let's do go. And when I'm finished, it could be 40-minute rant. That's when you'll be finished doing burpees. <laughs> Asshole. 
When um, I've explained the <laughs> insulin hypothesis to you, you may stop burping. <laughs> um, next one. Is good form better than heavier weight when heavier weight doesn't equate to good form? Yeah. I can't see that again. Sorry, I didn't get it. Like is, good form, is good form better than heavier weights when heavier weights doesn't equate to good form? Oh my God, that is messing with my brain. I don't understand. Is good form better or is good form better than heavier weights if heavier weight equals bad form? <laughs> what is wrong with Shona? I don't I'm, know. I, I think this is like... It depends on what, what, what do you mean by bad form? Like, it depends, do you know what I no, mean? No, like, I mean, you never want bad form, right? No, Except you never want bad form, Except for the fact form, that but... you don't, it's not one or the other. It's not like, like, you would lift as heavy as possible with good form. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I, I would suggest that with you, when you're, certainly when you're working with, with progression, you're wanting to be pushing yourself to the point where form might just go a little bit squee with but we're not talking a about bit like squee with but not to the point where you're like what is it shaking like a shitting dog or um like your back is like bent double trying to squat and things yeah. like that like you you'll see you you know yourself you see all these facebook or youtube fails of people doing deadlifts and stuff you know when it's not good yeah and you're pretty sure even even somebody who's not been training for a huge amount of time knows when techniques really start to fall down. I would down. love to think that was true, but I think a lot of people do not know when they're not lifting well. I think, right. I, su- I suppose, you know, as well, I suppose probably equating that to working face to face with people when I've actually taught them it. It's when they're doing things by themselves, it can go wrong. Quite I think, I, th- I get what you're saying. Like, I think you know when your form is changing because the weight is too heavy. But I do think that people have really bad form and think that it's fine. Mm. Oh, and and I tell you what, there's a lot of them putting up. Um, there's a lot of them that are fitness professionals putting up um, videos of their clients, and they're like, "Yeah, my client did this." What? And you decided to video that, <laughs> and then put it on your social media. Wait a minute, while I get my sick bucket. <laughs> <laughs> have you? Oh, talking about that. Have you seen the the Scottish guy? With his two kids trying to eat the fermented oh, I just fish. It. Oh, like he's trying to do a challenge with his two young sons about eating fermented fish from a can, and it's just—it's like something out of Jackass. It really is. It's horrific. Like he's howking and he can't even get. He's opened the can and he starts to be sick. It's you know the worst bit is is when he opened like the can and then the can explodes and sprays the stinking fish just. <laughs> That's that's what you get for doing these challenges. Yeah. There you go. Um, right. Um, right. Question from not Tom Woods, but it is Tom Woods. <laughs> um, do you know? What I think we need to just discuss like how not great an alias alias that is. <clears throat> I know. So I say to people like when people like. Can I do commit to six, but I don't want to have Facebook? I'm like, okay, fine. You can use a fake name if you want. Tom Woods has decided to call himself not Tom Woods. It's like it's like the realest fake name in the world. He's like, yeah, My- well, just just for work purposes. Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't even need explained, does it? 
not ESG fitness. No one will find me. <laughs> the question is quite a big question, and it's quite quite intricate. Um, yeah. Is it the it's the brown fat one? Did you read it? No, I've not seen so, it. So, um, I'd like to learn more about brown fat in general. How we might gain more brown fat through changes in lifestyle, or do we really want to gain more brown fat? Okay, I so think, can I just say that I think not Tom Woods would really benefit from de- doing EIQ. Yeah, this is. I think he would love it. He would yeah. love it. Yeah he wants to geek out on stuff but also i kind of love it as well so you know you're in luck here but for anyone who's like what's brown fat it's it's fat that has more mitochondria in it which means it produces heat um and uncoupling proteins as well which again like so you're producing more heat from fat and actually all fat is metabolically active but brown fat is more metabolically active than what we have which is white fat or white adipose tissue and you do get beige fat which is kind of somewhere in between those two i like how you cut beige 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 is just rank but it sounded you made it sound so sexy there beige <laughs> it sounded like hey there beige fat <laughs> um so a lot of like we tend to have quite a lot of brown fat when we're children to keep us warm and then because we have central heating and things like that we tend to lose most of our brown fat but hibernating animals will have higher levels of brown fat now you can increase your amount of brown fat and the reason that you'd want to do that is because you would then burn more calories doing nothing like at rest so you'd be increasing your metabolic rate but the only way that we've seen how to do that to an extent that would actually make any difference is cold exposure. So basically just like never using living your heating, in, sitting in the cold. Living in time. Alaska. Just live in Alaska. I think living in Glasgow's pretty close. No, I think it would be like it's not extreme it's not like you need extreme cold, it's just constantly living in the cold. Without so using without like I don't know, fire. putting covers on or anything like that. Like so that your body has to heat itself effectively. Yeah. Are some people genetically like disposed to have more brown fat than others? Like that's actually part of the next part of okay. his question. Right, that's, okay. a, that's a really good one. Um, I, I read about like some people in the world actually just handle cold much better than others because like maybe they have more brown fat naturally. Potentially, like I I do imagine there's an ethnic or oh, sorry like a genetic. Um, but also probably more to do with like where people live mm. and where their ancestors lived potentially. I, but I, I do think it's more like you can tell that it's more environmental because of the fact that no matter what your genetics, if you're exposed to the cold for a long time, you're going to have more brown fat. The fact that we're all born with quite, well, relatively high levels and then we lose it. It's more to do with uh, your exposure than if you're born with it kind of thing mm. cool i but i just ended up i just i re- remember reading somewhere that like scottish women have better skin than any other women because we're, we're always wet we've got like a lot of moisture in the air so that our skin is like plumper but then you walk around glasgow and you're like no this is not, <laughs> not true because well, they're always wet no <laughs> Because of the rain, there's so much moisture in the air, like our skin's always wet. 
it doesn't dry out. No. Yeah, I mean, hey, that could actually be true. Less likely to have sun damage. That definitely in Scotland. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, Let's make this the last question, then we'll come back and do the the rest because it's been over an hour. Can PCOS really make losing weight harder? I know it's all about insulin resistance, but would it have a significant impact on calories required to lose fat? Yeah, it's not all about insulin resistance. Um, Women with PCOS can have a lower basal metabolic rate, which means that, yes, they would need to diet on lower calories to lose body fat. Yeah. I mean like that's the basics of it yeah but I wouldn't assume this is the thing with PCOS is that you can have PCOS and it have absolutely no impact on your basal metabolic rate whatsoever meaning that or and also you can have PCOS and not insulin resistance so don't assume that you have either or both if you have got a diagnosis with PCOS what I would just do is treat yourself like anyone else but make sure we know that potentially we might need to drop your calories further the thing is most people don't like well maybe not most but a lot of women with pcos don't need to drop their calories further and actually diet on the same calories as someone who doesn't have pcos but it's good for us to have that knowledge because sometimes we might assume that it would be other things like maybe your adherence or your tracking isn't as um accurate as what we might think um, but if we have that knowledge, then we we might be more keen to drop your calories sooner because there may actually be a lack of energy deficit there. Boom. What no. a way to finish. Okay, guys. Well, that was a pleasure. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please share it with us. And give, us a, give us a rating on whatever you get your eye, whatever you get your trip advisor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> After our choices with our, um, How our has meal the journey today. been throughout this podcast? That's what it you could review. A journey. I've like felt about five different emotions. Do you know what? It, this one has been a journey, hasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I've cried three times. We should maybe do that when we get back to normality. Let's just do a road trip. What and podcast I while we road trip. Yeah, saw it. Actually, met either of you in person. Weird, isn't it? I mean, Andy and I have so. Yeah, me and me and Emma have. We've got photos together and everything. Oh, that's cute. Well, I can Photoshop myself in. (laughs) Just I'm really good at Photoshop. Photoshop. Just put your face in another Shona because you get you'll instantly get massive delts. (laughs) When you messaged me the other day asking if I was having a maternity photo shoot, I thought you wanted us all to do one. Like with me pregnant and then you two in as well. Was, oh, was no. that what, was no. that what those I mean, were? if you want us to come to your maternity <laughs> shoot. You, you ran the, the, those two pictures randomly came up in the group chat and I just went, what the fuck? Oh my God, that... Leanne's photos. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the fuck happened there? It's like, right, I'm going to finish the podcast because no one needs to hear this chat. Right. Uh,